Welcome to the Underground Sessions podcast, courageous conversations at the intersection of faith, culture, and politics. Each episode will feature a compelling conversation around an important issue. As we step into the tension, we remind you that the views expressed by guests may not reflect the views held by Millington Baptist Church. Now, let's start our session. Well, hey, welcome to the Underground Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Bob Irving. And if you'll remember, a few months ago, we recorded a podcast with our family ministry team called Living and Ministering in a Gen Z World. And that turned out to be one of our most listened to podcasts of all time. It was, uh, it blew up the internet. And uh, we found that people are clearly interested in this topic. So we decided we're going to be doing a series of podcast episodes about the markers of the Gen Z generation. And so today we're going to start with a marker that some people may or may not be familiar with. In fact, we did a, um, we, we did a parenting seminar back in January and some people said they weren't aware of the topic of, of post-Christian culture. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. What, is it, what does post-Christian mean? Um, a recent Barner report on the state of the church uh, makes, makes a couple observations. And one of the things they say is this. They say, out of the 69 million people in the Gen Z generation, only 4% have a biblical worldview. And I thought that's just a staggering number. And so I think all of that contributes to Gen Z living in this post-Christian world. And so I, I think to discuss this topic today, we're going to have our family ministry team back on. I want to welcome them here today. And maybe just as a reminder, you can all go around and uh, introduce yourself. Cool. So any, sure. Good. Great. Sure. I got it first, Rachel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, go for it. I'm Johnny Graves. I run the youth, young adult, and production ministries here at NBC. All right. Um, I'm, oh, sorry, Bob. Um, I'm Camilla, and I'm the middle school coordinator here at NBC. And I'm Rachel Rickershauser, um, the director of children's ministries. Right. And of course, we're doing this all on Zoom. So Zoom podcast from here on out until uh, until we <laughs> until we get told we, we can actually come back in person. All right. Well, before we dive into our discussion on the influence of uh, of post-Christian, the post-Christian world on Gen Z. Let's, uh, let's just check in about our current crisis um, because one of the other markers of the Gen Z generation is that they, they are, uh, some people will say they're recession marked. And the fact that they walked through the recession of 2008. And so now this, what's going on right now with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus uh, pandemic is certainly going to be another marker on Gen, Gen Z. And so I would ask you, frontline, the frontline people out there, how are students and parents handling this current pandemic as you're, as you're talking with them in your groups? Yeah, I think, you know, on a week-by-week basis, it's different. I think initially it was really tough. And then after a couple of weeks, people were kind of like, all right, this is kind of nice. You know, a little, little reset, a little recharge. My schedules have obviously freed up to probably nothing. Um, you know, we obviously live in a really busy area, uh, but I think we're getting to past that point, And I think we're getting to a point where people are like really, really in a tough spot. You know, um, I think people are really missing the, their friendships, hanging out with people in person and seeing them, you know, obviously zoom FaceTime and stuff is just a great ability for us to have and use. But I think people are really starting to really just miss that time together with their friends, family and things like that. So I think it comes in waves, and I think at times people are really enjoying the, the time to just sit in some quietness, to relax, but I think then there's other weeks where people are just like, I 
going stir crazy at home. I need to get out of here. I need to see my friends and stuff like that. So I think it's just, it changes. I think it changes. Mm -hmm. Camilla, would you add to that? Yeah, I think, I think there was a lot of anxiety at first, just the uncertainty of like, how, how is this going to look? How is this going to feel? Um, I do think our students love the idea of being at home though, getting to do online learning and getting school done very quickly um, in their day. Um, but it sounds like their teachers have kind of elongated the day. So it's a little bit more of a normal schedule for them. Um, but I think there was just a lot of uncertainty with, you know, getting assignments done and getting all of that formulated. And then I think now we're just seeing a lot of, and maybe Johnny could talk a little bit more about this because he's more with high school, but I think we're seeing a lot of like seniors and even like college graduates feeling kind of bummed that they're missing their ceremonies, um, mm. their high school, mm -hmm. kind of graduation milestones, if you want to call it that. So prom, um, graduation ceremonies, um, you know, I don't know if they still do the, the senior lock-ins at all anymore, mm. um, but just a lot of those milestones that I think a lot of us had the opportunity to, to have. So I think a lot of them are missing that. So there's um, rites really of passage that. Yeah. that they're not able mm -hmm. to actually walk through right now. Yeah. 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 And then overall, just a home and work balance has changed. Um, I know my family, my brothers have lots of young children. So they kind of draw straws every day to see who's going to be the babysitter and who gets to work. <laughs> it's kind of become that. And all the kids kind of come to one house um, for a lot of it. So I think it's just kind of figuring out that ebb and flow. And I think in the beginning, it was more of a panic, like, how do we do it? And now it's we're settling into a rhythm and we're kind of figuring it out. Obviously there's hiccups because um, kids are kids, but <laughs> I think it's also just figuring that out. And then just the longevity of like, can we sustain this? Like mm. our school's going to be open in the fall. Like what is our summer planning going to look like? We don't have camps anymore or, you know, that kind of thing. So kind of embracing that as well. Yeah. Rachel, what about you? What are you, what are you hearing from the uh, families with younger kids? Yeah, I think with the younger kids, kind of like what Johnny was saying, like there are some positives, like more quality time together as families. Um, but I think the younger the kids are, the harder it is to explain what's going on. So I've heard even kindergarten, preschool age is, um, I might argue, one of the hardest to explain this to, um, why they can't go to school, see their friends, even hug their grandparents. So um, I think, yeah, parents are really having to figure out how to just help their kids walk through this, their young kids. And then I think as the kids get older, it's um, kind of like what Camilla said, like anxiety is coming in. And I think, you know, just wondering about the safety of going to a store, the safety um, of coming back. And as we do start to reopen, um, I think some of those fears and anxieties might really come back, you know, and so it's like a lot of the parents having to explain these things, but even like as parents, we don't know exactly what's, you know, going on and, and we just don't know what to do. This is all the first time for all of us. So it's, it's really tough, you know, but hopefully, you know, people can look at the bright side of things for now and then just um, you know, that's where our biblical worldview comes in that we need mm -hmm. to distrust. Mm -hmm. So, Right. Yeah. I know our, our daughter's three and there's been times where she says, oh, I just, I just want to go to their house or I want to go see Grammy mm -hmm. or, you know, whoever. And it's, uh, I mean, she's also at an age where she's got a lot of imaginary friends right now. So that's, that's, that's good. She keeps herself entertained. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> um, it does. It does. But, um, but yeah, it's tough, especially if they're, if they're older and they're, it's, it's hard to explain it to them. Well, I, I, I just want to make an observation. I um, was recently reading a book, a book on Gen Z, and uh, they were comparing Gen Z to the uh, 
the greatest generation or, or what's been called the GI generation, those that were born at, at 19 and 1900. And so, um, you know, this the book was talking about um, the comparison between the two, and if you think about uh, the greatest generation, if you were born in 1900, uh, you grew up through through some tumultuous times. So by the time you were 14, World War One started. Uh, by the time you were 18, World War One ended. But then the Spanish flu came, and that was there for two years um, with different waves. By the time you were 30, you were experiencing the Great Depression. Uh, by the time you were 40, World War Two started. By the time you're 50, all of a sudden the Korean War started. And then, you know, you hit into uh, in your 60s and that's when the Vietnam War started. So it was just if you grew up, if you were born in 1900, you went through a lot of stuff. And I don't know what the future holds, but let's just, you know, think about a, a, a person who's in Generation Z who maybe was born in the late 90s. They had to walk through 9-11 and a, a seismic shift of how we do we do things after that. And then you had the, the recession of 2008, 2009, um, kind of a, a challenging 2010s as far as uh, you know, relations in the country. And then all of a sudden you have this in 2020. Mm -hmm. And so over the last 20 years, there's been some major, major things that have happened that generation Z has had to, has had to walk through. Um, so I, I certainly think that is going to affect their worldview. I mean, people didn't obviously didn't mention the coronavirus pandemic, but all the books that are written after this are going to talk about how the coronavirus pandemic impacted generation Z. Um, and and impact, impacted their worldview. So so why don't we turn our attention to that topic of, of post-Christian? Um, and I'd ask you guys, you know, what what does post-Christian mean in your own words? And uh, what are some maybe some examples of the post-Christian influence playing out in the lives of your Gen Z students and and families? Yeah, I think for me, uh, really thinking this through is. You know, if you just talk to people in the older generation, kind of their school, their what, what school was like for them, you know, they would say, you know, we read the Bible, we prayed. Uh, it was very church. God was very in the mind and the conversation of, of most things that you found yourself in. And move that to today where Christian, Christian conversations, God is much more taboo. Uh, you know, you have people want to take in God we trust off of money. You want to not have in, you know, uh, the Pledge of Allegiance where it says in God. Um, See, so moments like that where just Christianity is just trying to be removed and just not really part of a daily life that was very much a norm, you know, 50, 60 years ago, Sunday church. Now it's Sunday football. You know, it's just very different things affecting our culture. Um, and secondly, one that I was thinking about, and actually heard Al Mohler was talking about this on one of his podcasts recently was this, this rise of scientism. So scientism, so science is basically a way to figure out, you know, the way of knowing something. Um, but scientism is saying it's the only way we know something. And so we use science and we're saying, right, this, can, this is a, an explanation for this, this, and this. But for Christianity, it's, well, we can't really put God under a microscope. So if it can't be explained by science, it's not real. So I think people will look at Christianity as this outdated, you know, it was for before we actually were smart and had technology. So why would we believe in that today? Um, so I think that rise of scientism has really kind of made people think, well, if you believe in Christianity, you're just dumb. <laughs> it's like you're not looking at the science and the facts. So I think that has really affected our students um, when, when they're in school, when they're talking about it in their classes and things like that has really affected uh, our culture and our students growing up today. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, you know, you often hear even even in the whole thing, 
right that's going on right now public officials will say we're gonna we're gonna do what science says you know mm-hmm. and and that's not to say certainly we we think science um, is something that god has given to us and 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 is something we should utilize uh, but it almost has gone into this this type of religion where like the medical researchers and everything they're, they're almost like priests you know and they're, they're, they're the ones that hold the sacred texts um and that's i think when you get at the idea of scientism that's what he's talking about um but faith and science can go together. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times people have an issue with that. They like to bifurcate them out. Mm-hmm. So uh, who else? Who else would add, add to that as far as the post-Christian mindset? Yeah, I'll just yeah. say that. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. <laughs> nope, you got it. The joys of Zoom calls, you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, post meaning like after. So, you know, we're kind of like Johnny was saying, like after Christianity is prevalent in the culture. Um, people um, go to church, I think um, regular attendance means twice a month, I believe. And where it used to be, if you're not going two or three times a week, that's strange, you know? So I think just the fact that the normalcy has completely changed. And I know for um, at least my peers, like growing up, who are now, you know, millennials, and some of us are parents, or maybe like almost parents, um, we, I think a lot of us, or my peers grew up with, you know, parents who maybe brought them to church, but it was more like, okay, I'm going to bring you to church, but you get to choose your own beliefs, you know, and maybe they didn't even say that, but like, that was kind of like assumed, like the parents didn't really mind where they ended up necessarily, or maybe it, it was just that they didn't really talk about faith at home even. And so then that just naturally leads to the child um, choosing their own beliefs. So I think that does play a part in it. And um, I know I've read recently, like most of Gen Z are like a spiritual blank slate. Like they're just, okay, fresh, ready to go. Just (laughs) come come into the culture and what are they gonna hear? Well, they're not gonna hear about, you know, um, God from, if they're not gonna hear about from their parents and if they're not going to church, then in my opinion, they're not gonna really hear it. So I think that's, part of where the post-Christian mindset comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, great, great points. And um, I do think also we have, we have a, a large, larger segment of the, con- of the, let's just say of the congregation <laughs> of the population of the U S that doesn't even really have an idea of what does it mean to be a Christian. And uh, in the Northeast here, we experience a bit more people that are just, they've, they've kind of moved beyond church and they sort of have this cultural idea of you go to church and maybe you're, you know, if you're Catholic, you, go to mass and you get communion, but they really don't have much of an idea of what Christian, what the Christian teaching actually is. Um, and, the, but there's other parts of the country where people just have absolutely no idea of what's going on. And so it's very different, like in the Northeast or the Northwest versus the South. Um, mm-hmm. But there's not, there's just not a cultural um, uh, influence of a biblical worldview. And you see that reflected in, in media and what people are talking about in shows and, and different things like that. So, uh, Camilla, would you add anything to, to the discussion here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things going on, right? So, I think a lot of secularism has come into the home now, um, whether it's been allowed mm. or it's just in the home now. So, you have a mindset of um, there's, no, there's less construct at home. So, there's not as many stable morals at home. So, I think of like um, just different TV shows that you see. It's like, oh, well, you can pick a religion that works for you instead of, oh, we're going to teach us this fact in our home, um, or even just, um, with the gender debate, like, 
you can pick whatever gender works for you and we're going to support you in that instead of teaching what the biological um, assignment is, you know, and teaching the values of being a woman and teaching the values of being a man and what that means. Um, so I just think of the construct in the home. Um, and then obviously kids spend a majority of their time at school. Um, and even at school, there's, there's a lot of issues with, well, we can't teach religion in general. Um, you can't say a prayer at school. Students are limited if they want to start a Bible study and what they can do and what they're allowed to do. Um, but they're just even from a young age, they're, they're taught about different agendas They're taught about different, um, things. Like I think in New Jersey, they're passing a law to teach more about the LGBTQ, um, it's part of history, yeah. part of history now. So it's not even like, oh, we're going to do a segment on it. Now it's integrated in every single thing, mm -hmm. um, in terms of teaching, you know, and there's no support for parents who don't want their children to be a part of that teaching. Um, so it's kind of just a crazy mindset of just secularism is just allowed in, um, you know, and so it's just kind of figuring that out. And then even just with social media, it's what religion is going to be the fad this month? Like, is it, am I going to take principles of Buddhism and, and then use that in my meditation? Am I going to take principles of Hinduism, principles of, you know, all of these things and just use that as a cookie cutter model for what I want my religion to be? So there's no, I construct thought of. I need Christianity because that's the right way. It's I'm going to take this piece of Christianity and I'm going to take this piece of Buddhism because I like how they work together. So there's no idea of like one to one to one. Um, mm -hmm. So you're really losing that line. It's kind of where I see post-Christianity and kind of. Right. You know, yeah. I also find it interesting that pe people, if you'll hear them talk in public um, to, to justify points they're making, they off, a lot of people will often cite the Bible or they'll criticize the Bible. And it's very clear they've never read the Bible in terms of how they're using their, their arguments. Um, so, and, and I think to get back to this point, um, which I noted at the beginning that only 4% of gener Generation Z has a biblical worldview, which is, is crazy to think that 4% of the people that are coming into your youth group only have a only have a biblical mm -hmm. worldview and it's probably higher because you might have parents in the church that are, have trained their kids um but in general the population four percent that means 90 96 percent don't have a biblical worldview wow. now uh barna when they were they were discussing this in in this one chapter uh they were saying look at each generation so each successive generation has um has declined in their percentage of people that have a true biblical world view and and the other generations aren't that much higher so their study showed that boomers only 10 percent of boomers had a, had a true biblical worldview seven percent of gen x had a biblical worldview six percent of millennials and then four percent of gen z so it just keeps going down and down and down so why don't we talk for just a second for, for or rather for a few minutes about what exactly is a biblical worldview and this is how barna defined it when they were asking questions to the people so number one, they said, uh, if you have a biblical worldview, this person has made a commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in their life today. Second, they have a biblical worldview if they believe they will go to heaven when they die because they've confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as Savior, kind of the, the sinner's prayer idea. Third, they have a biblical worldview if they strongly agree the Bible is totally accurate in all of its teachings. So I, I want to pause for that because I think that's where we see a lot of a lot of debate uh, nowadays. And, and actually Andy Stanley has a pretty high profile uh, preacher uh, off, talked about when he's like reaching out to people that aren't Christians because we're in this post-Christian world, he doesn't like to cite the Bible because they have all these, um, 
you know, a lot of hangups as it comes to things like creation and Old Testament genocides and things like that. And uh, he, his argument would be, you should focus on the resurrection first and on Jesus. Um, but so I, I guess I would just ask, do you, do, are you finding with your, with your students or maybe even with your families that they uh, wrestle with the Bible being accurate? Uh, you know, is that something that they, they find challenging? And is, is that, does that go into their, their world, biblical worldview uh, questioning? Have you, have you experienced that? I think um, we just took our middle schoolers through like a Christian basics course right before all this happened. And we talked about different subjects like, is the Bible real? How can we document it? Like what are, what makes it a credible source? We also talked about like religions and all these other things related to apologetics. Um, But for a lot of them, they just don't have a biblical foundation at all. So when you bring up these hot button topic issues like LGBTQ or um, you know, just everything's related to that, or even just relationships, like how do I deal with a relationship? They don't have that biblical foundation yet to understand there is a right way to think in terms of a lot of these situations. Um, so a lot of what they're hearing at school is, hey, it's okay to do this. Hey, it's okay to do this. You know, your relationship could be with a man, could be with a woman, doesn't matter. Whereas, you know, they don't have, whether it's a parent thing at home or they just haven't heard it yet. Um, a lot of them express the fact that like a lot of these things they haven't heard before, especially the biblical side. Um, so in terms of just like presenting, like we talked about the scientific argument of evolution, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, was one of the big ones that they were kind of asking a lot of questions on. And a lot of them didn't even know what creationism was. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to sit mm-hmm. down and say to a third grader, here's everything on creationism, here you go. But a lot of them didn't even know that the Bible talked about the universe the and creation of the world yeah so it was just wow. very like eye-opening to me to be like wow but this, so these are your middle schoolers back. that are saying yeah. i didn't even know the bible talked about the creation of the world that's a big wow yeah, <laughs> yeah. They rachel what are you doing with these kids um but they didn't even understand that like the seven days are they a literal seven days or are they not like they just think it's a story they don't think it's like fact in terms of like god did create the earth they don't, they don't see it as a fact because in the, in the classroom, it's, well, evolution happened and the world evolved over billions of years and we came from apes and, you know, and because that is ingrained in them from such an early age, that's what they think is fact. So when you talk about a biblical worldview behind that, they're like, well, how do I know it's not just a story, if that makes sense. Mm. So they're taught one thing, you know, all the time. No, oh, it does. I, I, you know, I, I see that wrestling. What, what's actually really interesting to me in what you just said is that they had, they didn't have any idea that the, that the Bible actually had a creation story. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah, it was very, it was, some of them knew it. Some of them were like, well, I think God did some stuff. And that was, you know, typical <laughs> medical, middle school answers, but. God did some things. Yeah. I mean, like to know the details about it and why order is important and why certain things happen, like they didn't. Yeah. It was one of the first times that they were really diving deep into it. So mm. it was interesting. Mm. That's good. Well, Johnny, Rachel, would you add anything to that? Uh, I can, I can keep moving on if you don't have anything. Oh, Johnny, I think you're, I think you put yourself on mute. <laughs> we just got to make these zoom calls. I know. Classic zoom podcasting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> zoom bingo, so, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Two things. I think one is just, it, you know, once I think the TV was introduced um, in whatever it was, middle 1900s, 
Uh, I think that played like a really big effect that I haven't, honestly haven't really read much about in relation to how we kind of read the Bible. But I mean, if you think about it, up up until the invention of the TV, what did people do at night? Or what did people do to to learn? To Everybody read, you know, reading was just like what you did to kind of calm down. And now it's, okay, let me watch three hours of Netflix. Let me watch hours of this of TV. So I think TV has definitely replaced books as entertainment. Uh, so I think that is one just the if the if the Bible can't entertain me as much as this TV show, why would I want to watch that, read that? So I think that's one is maybe they're not even thinking about the, you know, is it absolutely true? Is it, the more question is, is it even really worth reading? Is it going to keep me entertained? Um, so I think that that plays a big role into that question. You know, they, they, they can't even get to that question yet, you know, because they can't even read it. <laughs> not, not is it true, is it worth reading first? So I think that just has, has played a, a large uh, impact on our on our generation. Yeah, maybe to piggyback off of that, I don't. Um, I certainly watch TV, uh, but I, I will point out that one of my one of my professors in seminary, who was very passionate about this, would would talk about how uh, watching TV is a is a more passive medium. Mm-hmm. So, in the sense that you you watch and you take in messages, whereas reading is a more active medium, where you're actually having to think about what you about what you read. And so the less we read, the more we watch TV, the more we're not asking probably good questions about the things that we're actually, the messages we're taking in. Um, so it's an interesting point about how that, how that um, maybe be contrib- contributing to this as well. Yeah. And, and secondly, I think with Pastor Dave's sermon a few weeks ago, he kind of gave the story of the VeggieTales creator. Right. And he was saying, you know, we're using these Bible stories to tell kids to be more patient. We're using these Bible stories to tell kids to be more forgiving as opposed to telling it as a story that actually happened and here's how God, you know, worked through them and here's how he can work through you. So it was very non-relational. So I think that's the other thing is they don't read these, they don't read the Bible as kind of factual stories that happened as you guys were saying before. And I think mm. that's huge, mm-hmm. huge for yeah. how kids have any intention of reading it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rachel, do you want to add anything to that? I'll just say this is, you know, what me and the NBC Kids team are trying to do. You know, we're trying to teach the kids um, that the Bible on all of its stories are accurate and true. You know, like, I feel like I try to make a habit of just saying and the teacher saying, like, this is a true story from the Bible. Let's let's go. Let's dig in, you know. So and and we are very careful about choosing what curriculum we use so that they're not just teaching the moral takeaways it's like no what what can we learn about god from this story and see it as an overall uh, redemption story so that's uh, that sounds that sounds very countercultural. like you're a <laughs> countercultural warrior right there well, that's the goal awesome. <laughs> all right well let me just go back through the other the other things they mentioned as far as having a biblical worldview so number number four was that um, again, if you have a biblical worldview, you strongly agree that you need to tell others about your, about your religious beliefs so that you, not only do you believe it, but you want to tell others about it. Number five was you strongly disagree that Jesus Christ committed sins while on earth. And that's, that's an interesting thing. So the idea that we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, I think for, uh, for maybe Generation Z, who is very much about authenticity and wanting to share their struggles, it's, it's hard to believe that there's, there's somebody that was perfect. Uh, even though that's what we believe about Jesus. Uh, number six is you you would strongly disagree that the devil or Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. Uh, so you so you would think that the devil's real. 
Uh, number seven, you would strongly disagree that a person can earn a place in heaven if they are generally good or if they do enough good things for others. And that's, I think, an important point because that's, again, what we get at is that most people think, you know, how do you get into heaven? They would say, well, I just, I need to, I need to live a good life, right? So the idea that I just, I need to be good. I need to focus on myself. I need to work hard at being a better person. That would be something you would disagree with and you would understand that grace is, is a, is a part of the gospel. And then number eight, you would believe that God is all powerful, all knowing the perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. So there's a God who's actively involved in our lives. So the, those are the things that Barna was defining as having a biblical, uh, biblical world view. And only 4% of generation Z, Z has that. Um, let me just, for the sake of time, let me move on and I'm going to move down on your outlines. This will be question four. I'm going to skip down to there. Um, we've already discussed the fact that Gen Z has a less of a Christian worldview than previous generations. Uh, but it should also be noted again in this Barna study, they found that the percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of U.S. adults. I'm going to say that again. Barna found that the percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of U.S. adults. And again, that's a pretty staggering number that not only are they less Christian, but they are more atheistic. And so again, I would ask maybe you, you all to weigh in on why do you think that is? And what role do you think has this post-Christian worldview played into creating that in Gen Z? And uh, uh, Johnny, would you mind going first? Yeah, yeah, of course. So yeah, I mean, I think this has a lot to do with the post-Christian world we're finding ourselves in, uh, and the fact of, I mean, take yourself back to middle school and high school. And as I said before, you know, 50 years ago, everybody went to church. God was talked about all the time. So it was very normal to have these conversations about God, about your faith, about church. That was the norm. It wasn't uncool to go to church because everybody did it. So everybody would not be cool if, <laughs> if going to church wasn't cool. But, you know, fast forward to today where the post-Christian world that we're living in, as we've been talking about, uh, going to church is different. It, it, you might be a, a minority in your school when you say, I'm going to youth group on Wednesday or I'm going on this mission trip. You know, that is very different. And obviously, like I said, take your back, take yourself back to middle school and high school. It was very difficult to be different. It was very difficult to be the only one in your entire grade doing this. It's very difficult. So I think that might have a role of just saying, uh, is it even worth it? So much, I mean, it's so much easier to just go with the flow, just to be like everybody else. I don't want to have these awkward conversations, things like that. So I think that has, has played a, a big role into kind of why these numbers are, are doubling and, and just increasing uh, year by year. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I want to make a mention of that too. I think um, uh, part of this also, and, and we mentioned this before, that the church is no longer the center of the culture, uh, which, which was, is very different than that was in the past. You know, in previous generations, church was, was central in what you were doing and was very influential in, in cultural messaging. Um, but now in many ways, like, like you're talking about, people are feeling ostracized by the culture. And um, uh, I just want to read a quote. I think this is from the Barnard Report also. Um, and they made this observation. So this was the quote. They said, as the cultural cost of being a Christian increases, people who were once Christian only in name likely have started to identify as nuns, which disintegrates the ideological bridge between unbelievers and believers. And, you know, what they're getting at there is the idea that people are identifying less as Christians or turning away from it because it's actually becoming harder to be a Christian, to stand out in your in your school or with other people. 
And so that, that may be playing part of, part of this, uh, this situation. And I want, I do wonder what that means for the future and how that'll, how that should play out in terms of us, uh, discipling kids and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, I really, Bob, I really liked that bridge analogy when I read that too, um, because it just really made a lot of sense to me because, you know, like we, like we keep saying, it's like, there used to be like, you know, this cultural understanding. So like, even if you weren't like a super strong Christian family or believer, like you still had the basis and the ideas of what a Christian beliefs were. But I think now, like they say that that bridge is disappearing. So I think even for like kids ministry, we need to assume, especially if a kid brings like a visitor in, um, if they're not part of the Christian family, like you need to assume they have never heard the creation story that they think that Noah's Ark is a fairy tale if they've heard Mm -hmm. of it, you know, that they just have not heard any of the basic Bible knowledge, any basic stories about Jesus. They might think that Jesus is a historical figure because they've heard his name before, um, but probably heard his name more in vain. Um, But (laughs) I think, uh, again, I just think that bridge is disappearing. I totally see that. And I agree with that. I I also see that not only in the church context, but just in the secular context, uh, like watching TV shows. Uh, there are some TV shows I wouldn't really endorse on this podcast, but they, they make fun of literally everything. So if you watch like the early seasons and the early 2000s, they did some deep references to Christianity and making fun of those things. And then you fast forward to like their current seasons and they don't have any of those because they're like, wow. no one would get these jokes because <laughs> wow. no one yeah. knows these stories. Yeah. So it's really funny if you just look at kind of just TV shows and other maybe mm-hmm. comedians as well. Like they can't make those jokes because no one would get it. Right. Or conversely, if there was a show that actually is bringing up something about the Bible, there, that show is almost viewed as being bigoted to some extent, right? How, mm-hmm. yeah. how can you believe these things? Because then they, they tie it in with some, some cultural issues, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Camilla, would you add, add anything to that or? Yeah, I think one thing that I'm seeing, I guess, specifically in middle school is the the scientism argument that Johnny was talking about kind of in the beginning. Um, so middle school is kind of a unique age where they're starting to learn more abstract principles, especially in their science and history classes. Um, so they're learning about Mesopotamia. They're learning about all these history things, but like mm-hmm. the there's no idea of teaching Bible history, you know, and if you bring up anything that's like biblical history even if it is a fact that we know that is a fact it is you know kind of seen as oh you can't talk about that um you know and so i also think of like science too they're they're taught to think very critically of everything um just in general and so when they do get into these science classes they're not taught that it's even a possibility that god could be creating things you know it's well, there's got to be a hypothesis and a, you know, a theory and, you know, you have to be able to prove that something can be created. So the idea that there is an overall creator or intelligent design, if you want to call it that, like that isn't even an idea that they talk about in schools. Mm. Um, so for a lot of these kids, when they hear the fact that, oh, God is a creator and God is above all things and God is greater than all things, they don't even understand what that means as a concept because they, they think very like one mindset of, well, something has to be created, something had to create that creation or whatever. So I think there's some of that. Um, And I think, you know, for for our students, like peer to peer interaction affects what they think a lot. Um, You know, in terms of middle school, like they're, they're listening to what their friends are saying. 
and they're asking the same questions that their friends are asking, but they're taking each other's answers instead of taking what it might be saying in the mm. Bible or at school. So if my friend says that, oh, Christianity isn't cool, regardless of what my youth pastor might say, well, I'm going to agree with my friend because I don't want to be ostracized or I don't want to be, you know, taken out of turn or whatever. Um, so I think a lot of their development is based on what their peers think. Um, and I think that's obviously risky business because peers aren't, they don't have the knowledge base. Um, and they're not fully developed in what they think either. So you're, you're taking this moral system that just isn't developed. Um, you know, and it seems like once you hit middle school, my friends are more important than what my parents think. You know, my friends are where I go to for advice, um, rather than my parents. Um, so it's just this idea of they're going to these friendships that don't have that same Christian basis. I think it's in the Barna book. They talk about how most teenagers, their friends are not Christian or don't have the same belief system. Mm -hmm, so if mm -hmm. I'm going to go to my friends that don't have the same belief system, how am I going to get that belief system that my parents are teaching me? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of what I was thinking about during this whole thing is just the fact that like their peers are not on the same biblical belief system. So what's okay for me is not going to be what they think, you know, and to say, Oh, well, that's not right. Is not to be tolerant. Right. So that's kind of what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, you have a competing thing there because what, what a teenager wanted, wants is to be accepted by their friends. And so right. um, if your friends aren't holding the same belief system, that's going to probably push and pull against what your, what your belief system is as even as you're trying to figure out who you are, uh, certainly in middle school and beyond. And then so, the other thing is like oh, social ahead. media. Oh yeah. I was just going to bring up social media. Like there's mm. no moral compass in social media. So, you know, they have shows um, that talk about different issues, um, you know, and because it's on TV, it's flashy. It looks cool. Like I'm going to follow that person and now I'm going to believe in what they say. So I think social media for them dictates a lot of what they think rather than going to a parent or going to a youth pastor. Mm -hmm. So that's the only other like thing that I think about in that is just that social media influence. Yeah, and I think I think what I've heard uh, articulated throughout this conversation is is also that we have we have institutions and influences that are playing into this, helping to play into this creation of this worldview. So you have things like public schools, social media, family, peers, all, media, all that stuff plays into the creation of this worldview. And what we we probably need is a much more discerning, um, uh, much more a much more discerning uh, way of handling that. Okay, so I have one more um, uh, one more question as we kind of wrap up here, uh, and that is: We are certainly living in an unparalleled time. Uh, Gen Z, as we've talked about, has experienced several major crises, and I wonder um, if, uh, again, I wondered at the beginning, and I still wonder now if that's shaking their faith in God. Um, on the flip side, when crisis arises, more people are opening to discussing the bigger questions of life and faith. So as we close. Um, Let's just talk about opportunities. What are some opportunities that you see in ministering to Gen Z and to their families, even in this post-Christian world? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in first. Um, I think that people might not realize that the Bible does have answers to the question of why, why is there suffering in this world? And so I think as uh, Christians at any age, even, uh, you know, uh, kids and teens can start by just entering into those conversations, like not being afraid to be asked the question, well, if you believe in God, then why does he allow suffering? Like, how could you believe in a God like that? Um, 
I think also just asking questions back is really helpful. Um, in my experience, like when I've been talking about faith with um, other people who aren't believers, honestly, sometimes they quite don't know how to answer their own questions that they might have. So it seems almost as if, you know, no disrespect that they're kind of making it up as they go, or they're just kind of putting together kind of like what Camilla was saying, bits and pieces of different um, beliefs and religions they've heard that they like, and that hopefully will answer some of these questions for them. But um, of course, as Christians, we have um, the Bible that gives us answers, or it gives us stories of other people who have suffered even more than us in, um, even more in than us in America, but they have suffered, and that um, God has responded, or God has been there, and like we can read those true stories about that. You know, I just one thing I want to add to that. Also, I think I think even even people like uh, like Sam Harris, who's a pretty influential atheist now, and I know younger people listen to him. Sometimes I re- I read his books and I've listened to some of his lectures, and the way he critiques Christianity, I'm like, I don't even know that you like you haven't read like any serious um, scholars that are that are articulating a different point of view than you, or that explaining the thing that you're bringing up. And uh, that's the type of influences that are that are coming in. So, what what else would you guys add to that? I think people are just using their um, social media platforms to kind of just get along their agenda. And so I think um, for us, we just need to be counter against that. And so you, I just think of like YouTubists or like people on Instagram, just kind of putting out quotes there with no basis, kind of what Rachel was saying, like, you know, just because they know that they have an influence, they're just saying something, um, you know, and I think for us, it's important to be like, Hey, we have this offering of hope. Um, and just talking about how suffering in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, but changing the perspective on suffering and then also presenting hope alongside of it. Because I think a lot of those influencers are just like, hey, this is what's going on in the world. This is what I think about it. I might bash somebody in the in the process and then that's it. They don't present any kind of like solution or present any kind of like, here's what we can do about it. At least not in a long-term investment. Um, I think... I'm just thinking of the pandemic now. A lot of people are like, stay home, stay safe, watch your Disney Plus, watch your this. But like, that's not going to last you. That's not going to present hope or present a long-term solution. Like you can watch as much Netflix as you want, but it's not going to give you hope. It's not going to give you a solution to the anxiety that you might be feeling. It might kind of mask it for a little while, but that's about it. So I think it's just presenting the idea of hope, um, you know, and just showing a lasting hope and how God has provided since the beginning of time for different situations of suffering that, as Rachel said, are a lot worse than what we're experiencing now. Um, you know, and then the idea of the whole, um, Johnny was referring to the idea of the TV and just how that's passive. Like we need to be really excited about what we teach and really bring it to life. Um, because we are competing with social media influences. We're competing with a TV that to their advantage, they're very graphic and very just immediate results and all that. And I think we just need to be able to really make it exciting and make the Bible come alive and really show ourselves as examples of where we have found hope or where we have kind of lived through suffering and how God has brought us through that. So it's kind of like the two things that I would kind of add to that. Great. And I think for me, two really awesome opportunities that we are able to have during this time is I think students, you know, 
specifically you know, like middle school and high school ministry, and really everybody, you know, to think about it, uh, is just really craving community and conversations. Uh, like I said before, I think people are, are now at a point where it's like, I really need to get out and do something. You know, I had, I had two, two friends over and we just hung out in my driveway, six, six feet apart. Uh, I just hung out. But like after that moment, it just felt like so refreshing. It felt so nice to just be with people, talking with them in person. Because um, like you said, I think when, the, when these crises comes and people ask those questions, why would God allow this? Why would God do those things? I think typically we've seen those as bad questions. Like, oh, we're scared of those. We're fearful when, when, when my kid comes up to me and asks that question. But I, I was li- listening to this parent discussion for uh, a podcast and they were saying, those should not be the times you fear. Uh, those are actually great times. Like those are great conversations when your kid comes up to you and says, why would God allow this? What we should be scared of is when there are no questions, mm-hmm. when there are no conversations mm-hmm. about that happening. So I think now is a great time to have those conversations and because those could be really, really big uh, faith growth opportunities in someone's life when they actually ask difficult, tough questions and it can really open up their eyes to who God is and, and will really, uh, yeah, just further their, their walk with God. That's a really, really great point. And I, I think it is so refreshing <laughs> to actually talk with people about those questions and about faith. And the fact that we, we are in a post-Christian world is, you know, is concerning, but it also presents a lot of opportunities. And so I think um, to what you all were saying, uh, Christianity provides uh, the best answer to suffering, I think, and the hope in suffering. And if kids are asking those questions, we need to engage them. We need to talk with them. And, uh, and that's, that's just a great, great opportunity. So, well, thanks so much for, for all your thoughts today. Uh, this was a really good and lively discussion. And uh, again, we're hoping to have more, um, uh, more episodes specifically focused on Gen Z. And there's a, a number of other markers that they're experiencing. We probably touched on them a little bit today, but we felt like the foundation was this post-Christian worldview because that affects so many other things. So we wanted to start here and we hope that this was a beneficial uh, time for you. And, uh, want to want to welcome ask you to come back and we hope that we do see you next time on the underground sessions podcast thank you for listening to the underground sessions podcast courageous conversations at the intersection of faith culture and politics if you enjoyed what you heard today share our information with your friends and please give us a five-star rating in the itunes store so others have a better chance of finding us You can also connect with us at www.millingtonbaptist.org, where our vision as a church is to see the table expanded for the glory of God as more people step into a life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. We'll see you next time on the Underground Sessions.